The Grancidillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Well, thank you, Sherry. That was wonderful to hear kind of your story in the process of talking about the factors that you think are really important for transforming organizations and yourself. And, and in fact, uh, in the school, we talk a lot about, uh, as people go through our various programs, how it really transforms them from a business perspective, but also from a personal perspective. So it's very Good. much in keeping with the kinds of things that we emphasize. But you shared uh, certainly quite a bit about your background, but um, you did get an MBA from Stanford, but you also have an undergraduate degree in psychology and then a minor in musical theater. I do. So I think we all understand what you learned from your MBA at Stanford that's been helpful to you in being a CEO and in the business positions. But you might reflect for a minute, because probably a psychology and musical theater background isn't typical of the average CEO that's in the true. country. So what about that part of your experience and background and sort of uh, interest has been helpful to you in the various roles that you've had? Sure. Well, you're right. That probably wasn't very traditional, nor was my first management role running the hotel on the top of the Alaska pipeline, so there's probably a trend there as well. The, uh, my psychology background actually has been tremendously mm -hmm. helpful. And as you can imagine, I talk so much about people and about the importance of creating a team and surrounding yourself with people with, that share your vision and values. And I think having that experience studying psychology was actually really helpful because it helped me to think about how people think, how people react to things, and more so perhaps than we even think, having that psychology background and having a little bit of insight into the mindset that people might have, especially in difficult times, uh, probably less important in good times, but as I'm going through things like a transformation or a turnaround, it's been really helpful to have that experience and background. Now on the musical theater side, that one's a little tougher to uh, let's see to extract what that what that's worked for. I guess it's good because uh, as I've had to make presentations and certainly every quarter when I had to do uh, an analyst call while I was running a public company, having that experience and comfort uh, was probably a good thing. I tried to get her to sing for us, but she said that was probably not the best thing. To I do said this not evening. today, not <laughs> we'll today. Do that another time. One of the comments you made was. Uh, especially in challenging times, is to really build the top line. And one of the things we're seeing right now in these difficult economic times is just companies slashing costs and people right and left. Um, and frankly, probably some companies doing it that really are doing okay from a profitability perspective. What do you think the sort of long-term impacts of those are and how, how good of a strategy is that? Clearly, this is an unusual and very difficult economic time, so it may call for different measures than we would normally think about. But how do you balance that building the top line in difficult times versus cutting costs, which we're seeing so much of right now? You know, you're right. It's a difficult time, and it's a different time than what we've experienced. I do think, though, that you start cutting into bone as you make substantial cuts, and especially if it's on the personnel side. And I'm so focused on creating that great guest experience that I am always going to err on the side of investment. And I can tell you that it's a difficult economical discussion to have with people when things are tough, 
but I've had the benefit of talking to franchisees over the years about investment spending on this very topic. And one of the things that they've said is, well, if I don't have the lunch hour to support it or I don't have the dinner hour to support it, how can I afford to add an extra person? And what I've tried to help them see the economics of is if you, in fact, invest in that additional person, you can drive the top line that allows you to, to cover the co incremental costs. And in fact, you can probably drive the top line higher than you would have even believed if you have a well-trained and knowledgeable person filling that role. So it's a, it's a tougher discussion and I fear that in some cases, particularly guest-focused and customer-focused businesses, it'll be hard for them to come back if they cut too deep. And that's that really fine line that people are walking now. I think in a, in a consumer-driven society, which we clearly have where people have lots of choices, I think if you either minimize your quality of product or service because you're cost cutting, it's really difficult to get people back. And, and I believe because they have so many choices right. that that may be, for some, the way that they lose those guests that they so counted on in, in better times. Now, one aspect of your career that you didn't touch on a lot in your remarks, but is the boards that you've served on. And you served on some because you were CEO, but then you've served on other boards, both nonprofit and for-profit. How do you think your experience as a board member has informed uh, the way in which you lead an organization as CEO? What have you learned as a board member that's made you a better CEO? Mm. Well, the role of the board, of course, is to ensure that they're looking out for the shareholders. And so, so too is the role of the CEO, but in the ways that perhaps are different, the CEO is managing the company and the board members are supporting the CEO in that role. And so I think that having been on both sides has been good. It's, it's supported me as a CEO, it's supported me as a board member, but most importantly, there's this whole discussion about risk. And I think that for a CEO, your role is to mitigate risks and ensure that you're clear about what they are and you're focused on how to, how to minimize them. As a board member, you're focused on, in many cases, pulling out and assessing what those potential risks are. And it may cause you to open your thinking even more because of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that uh, that approach, perhaps where you're not leading the organization, but you can think differently about it as a board member, and you have a, you have a fiduciary responsibility as well to ensure that you're focused on shareholder returns, it gives you an open-mindedness to look at things in a different way because you're not managing it day to day. Mm -hmm. And I think that ability to sort of get above it all um, is a good thing and has helped me e be even more effective as a CEO. Well, one more question for Sherry, and then we're going to open it up to the audience to be thinking about what you would like to ask her in the time we have left. But you have, uh, in addition to being on several boards, also been involved in really trying to promote and encourage diversity among boards and among leadership and organizations through the Women's Food Service Forum and through Women Corporate Directors. Talk about maybe trends you've seen in that regard, places where you're encouraged, maybe things you're not so encouraged about, just in terms of enhancing diversity in leadership roles in organizations. You know, it's interesting at the Women's Food Service Forum, which I've been a member of for 15 years, our focus is on elevating women leaders. 
and their business case for diversity is a strong one and as you know it's been proven that those organizations that have a more diverse c-suite or a more diverse board of directors actually provide better results to their shareholders and so it's that business case that has guided the organization in developing programs and initiatives to help people develop themselves and become better leaders and uh, elevate themselves in their businesses Interestingly, not just in the food service and hospitality industry that the WFF supports, but really across all industries, we still don't have as diverse a look to our boards of directors and our C-suites all across America uh, as I think we should. And it's interesting, again, because of the business case and the, and the financial reality of more diversity of thought and experience and background brings you an opportunity to have a more successful company. So why wouldn't people want to do that? And yet I think that we're still faced with a uh, perhaps a smaller pool in some industries, um, perhaps less knowledge of the business case and the importance of, of looking to a more diverse C-suite and, uh, and board of directors. And I think that even the, there's some research that Catalyst did recently that says that across all industries, we haven't made as large a strides in diversifying those, those boards and C-suites. So I think for all of us, it's an opportunity to continue to communicate the message that uh, diversity at those levels is good, it's good for business, and because of that I think over time more and more executives who are the decision makers in their organizations uh, will seek out diversity when they have positions to fill and really start to fill that pipeline, fill those slates, and ultimately as more people get on the slate or in the pipeline, then there's more opportunity to fill those roles. Wonderful. What questions do we have for Sherry from the audience? And we have microphones for folks and Somebody's going to have to help me because it's a little hard to see. I know we've got a question right here in the middle. Yes. Um, you talked a little bit about going back to get your MBA and how you want to make a shift to the corporate world. I, I wanted you to talk a little bit more about that, like how that shift was. Was it difficult? Was it just the marketplace? Well, it's interesting. The question was about going back to get my MBA and wanting to be a corporate executive and how difficult or easy that, that shift was. And I actually was speaking earlier um, with some of the attendees here at the reception. When I went to get my MBA, I actually had been working for a number of years. So one of the toughest things for me was actually to pull myself out of the work world to go back and get my MBA. I'd gotten very used to leading a large organization. I was running the hotel in Alaska. And uh, to make that change was actually um, challenging just in terms of the way I was used to living my life. But I knew that I wanted to do it, and I knew that it was the right way to do it. So I actually think that because I had been working and I had had a, a very senior leadership role, I brought more to the MBA program than I might have if I'd come straight through from my undergraduate program. I was able to think probably more effectively through some of the discussion in class because of my work experience. And I think, quite frankly, when I came out, I didn't, have a, I didn't have a challenge coming out into the, into the corporate world per se, but I think the combination of having worked and then get, bringing something different to my MBA gave me a good entree when I got out into the corporate world. And let's be honest, as the dean said, my undergraduate degree was in psychology and musical theater, not exactly the uh, pedigree that you might normally see for a, a CEO role. And so that financial experience certainly and the, and the coursework in the MBA program 
were extremely helpful for me. And when I first came out, I was in, uh, in packaged goods with Frito-Lay. So I went right into, uh, into a PepsiCo organization and, and uh, jumped right in. In fact, there were, I think, 17 of us that started on the same day, all from MBA programs all around the country, all of us sure that we were going to come up with the next great marketing program for one of Frito-Lay's products. So it was pretty competitive. But uh, I felt ready. And I felt like it was a good thing for me to do when I did it with the experience that I had behind me. And those of you that did our Bachelor of Science in Management program will appreciate Sherry's experience because she did her undergraduate degree at University of Alaska while she was working full time. So she had that similar experience. Our bachelor's program is a program for working professionals ah. who are working and going to school. Yes, so they I can remember relate it well. Your experience. Yes. Yes. Plenty of. Um, you talk about turnarounds with a company and the employees. What suggestions do you have about turnarounds for the board and the shareholders? So the question was about turnarounds for the board of directors and for the shareholders. One of the most important roles that a board of directors can play in a turnaround or transformation is being supportive, being clearly aligned with the CEO, and it's the CEO's responsibility to ensure that they have the alignment and support of the board because transformations and turnarounds are not easy. As I said, they're not for the faint of heart. And so I can certainly say that taking the time with the board to educate them around where you're going and why and what it's going to look like when you get there is critical because they need to be on your side. So I think the education process is there. Interesting question with the shareholders, it depends. Um, in a publicly traded company, which I have led and I've also led a private equity backed company, it's a little bit different. But I can tell you as, uh, as I was going through the annual meeting uh, with Rubio's, which was the publicly traded company, we talked a lot about where we were going, why we were going there, the competitive marketplace, how it had given us an opportunity to really need to clearly differentiate ourselves. So we were, in effect, educating. Now, we didn't do it on a, on a frequent basis, but we certainly used our annual meeting to do that. And of course, uh, in my quarterly remarks to the analysts, which were, of course, public information, people would also learn what we were working on, what had progressed, and kind of where we were in the process. Great question. Yes. Sherry, would it surprise you if you learned that the same principles you're talking It wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I would hope, in fact, as I thought about trying to get to the six questions and the six guiding principles, that they could apply across a wide spectrum. And it could be that you were the CEO or you could be an individual contributor. It could be in hospitality and food service, as most of my experience has been, or in any number of other industries. And certainly, I'm, I'm delighted to know that that uh, you believe that to be the case because I think so many of those things, they just come down to, to following a set of principles and, and holding yourself to those in order to be most successful. Thank you. Yes, okay. Sherry, it was so interesting to hear about how you would actually go into the Rubio's restaurant and talk to your customers, but how would you handle yourself being just one person? How do you get out to a large number of people? Great question. The question was about 
while I might have taken myself out to the restaurants at Rubio's and as the CEO introduced myself to guests and gotten their feedback, I was only one person. And so how do you get to the rest of your organization and, and touch all of those people that you need to? And I think the key is those lieutenants in that team that I talked about. If you have people that are with you that are so focused on the same vision and values, that have the same passion that you do, that are so aligned with where you're trying to take the company, they can be out in all of those places. And hopefully, in a guest-focused organization, all of your employees are your ambassadors every day. So that as whether it's a general manager in a restaurant, whether it's a shift lead, that they can ask guests, and I encouraged them to cycle as the, as the shift went on, encourage them to talk to guests. Some of them were more comfortable doing that than others. But really to engage people. How are you doing today? How was your meal? Great to see you again. And it also keeps that, that warmth and that connection that people begin to feel like this is really my place and people really care what I think. But you're right, as one person, you can't do it all as many evenings as my husband and I spent in our, in our restaurants uh, talking to people and, and he always was my ambassador as well. So that was, that was my second, uh, my second uh, lieutenant there. But I think that's the important thing is surrounding yourself with fabulous people who share the same vision and values and passion that you do about where you're, where you're taking the company. Thank you. Yes. You talked about diversity, and I was just curious to find out, <coughs> being a woman executive, obviously you were early. You were at the front, uh, uh, at the edge. What differences did you see gender-wise, age-wise, that would be good for us to be aware of today? The question was about being one of the early adopters in being a female executive and certainly being a female CEO. And I think probably the main thing that was different for me was there weren't very many role models. And so where other executives and leaders might be able to look right and look left and see people that looked like them, there weren't nearly as many of those. So I would argue that we probably, those of us that were in those roles had to pave our own way a bit. Uh, there was probably a little more on-the-job training. And uh, certainly one of the things that I have learned in my executive career is it's so important to have and be a mentor, to have and be a sponsor of others and bring others along with you. And so that was something that I could certainly do from an early stage and have continued to do and with organizations like the Women's Food Service Forum and Women Corporate Directors, which are great places to network, to connect with other leaders that are in the same kinds of situations that you are. And really it's about spreading that uh, perspective to the larger executive pool, regardless of gender, um, and really tapping those people who have filled those roles before you so that as you go into those roles, you have the benefit of their learning. You know, the other thing that I've found is people love to be asked. People love to be asked, tell me about how you did such and such. Share with me your experience about XYZ. And so I've found uh, as a leader, one of the things that I can do as a mentor, as a coach, just as a participant in some of these various organizations is really make myself available to speak with large groups, small groups, one-on-one -on -one as, a, as a mentor with a mentee and help give people some of that additional perspective. Hopefully they don't 
have any of the stumbles along the way or as much of the OJT. Perhaps there's more people now paving the way, I certainly hope so. And that benefit, I think, of continuing to reach out, reach down, bring people up with you, and bring people along with you is really all of our responsibilities as leaders so that others that come after us have the same opportunity that we did. Yes. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about the, your views on the food service hospitality as an industry in these times and then in the sort of short-term future. Sure. The question was about the food service and hospitality industry, particularly in these turbulent times, and my view on it as well as what I think for the future. The good news is people have to eat, people have to travel, so from a food service and hospitality standpoint, that's, that's the good news for the industry. The challenge is that people are making tougher choices. They're eating out less often, they may be traveling less often, they may be staying less days. So what that says for us as an industry is that says we've got to be great every day. And so as I was talking earlier in my prepared remarks about exceeding expectations, that's something I absolutely believe and I'm passionate about and from the standpoint of whenever you're in a, a guest-focused or customer-focused organization, certainly food service and hospitality, uh, at least in the frontline roles are, you've got to make sure that you're fabulous every day. And so one of the things that I always loved hearing about the Disney organization was they talk about people going on stage and how if you're not ready to go on stage, you don't go out from behind the curtain out into the, the organization. And I think that's really true in food service and hospitality in the operations roles where you're frontline with the guests every day, and they just have too many choices. So I think if you keep your quality high, you keep your standards high, you be true to your culture and your vision and your values, then ultimately you'll keep those guests, maybe not as often, maybe not as many, but when the economy continues to, to turn around, you'll be there and you'll be the one that, that people will come to. The last thing I'll say is that the good news is that going out to eat can be a really nice change for people when things are difficult. So we also have a bit of a responsibility to make sure that it's a great experience for people because they're spending less, they have less to spend. And so I think it, it puts a little more of an onus to make sure that you have a great experience if you go to a hotel or you go to a restaurant. And since our business is about serving people, it's a great opportunity to really test us for what we're worth. You would love my family because we keep the food service industry quite busy. Because Excellent. Because we eat a lot. Excellent. So. I'm delighted to hear yes. about that. It's actually a treat for us to eat at home because ah. that would be contrary to what we normally do in my family. Good. I love to hear now, that. Now, you have talked a lot about your husband and all the things, all the places you've dragged him to eat and various other things. And he's with us tonight. So I would like to give you the opportunity to introduce John to the crowd as well since he's been a part of your story tonight. Oh, so, great. Well, I don't John, know where John is. John is with us. I know he's somewhere over in the bright lights over here. This is my husband, John Mixa. You certainly can. Can we ask you questions too? <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> I do have one question since John is in the audience because Sherry and I were talking about this earlier. John is in his own right a very successful business person. He's writing a book now on customer service, but I believe you said he was a CEO when you were COO. And so you had some interesting sort of 
personal you know, experiences with that and, and led to some interesting choices about your careers and everything. Would you mind sharing that? Because I think it's interesting as we sort of all think about our professional careers and how we manage that with our personal lives, people do it in different ways. So would you mind sharing maybe a little bit about what you guys ended up doing? Sure. Well, uh, as the Dean said, we did have a two C-level family for a while. And uh, as you can well imagine, not much got done. <laughs> so we, uh, we, were, we were married to our work and to our business, and we focused on it um, a lot. And so ultimately, when, uh, when John opted to uh, leave his CEO role, we had a discussion about what would we like to do differently, if anything. And what we decided was that uh, it was an opportunity for him to be self-directed and for me to continue to lead companies. And as I rolled into um, my next role, which was actually being the CEO of a publicly traded company, my life got even more challenging. And so I was blessed with having John remain as my ambassador, uh, travel with me to visit all of my locations and really support all of the other things that weren't getting done in our life. And also then for him to be self-directed, as the Dean mentioned, he's been writing a book on customer service and so it allowed him to pursue his writing and all of the other things that, uh, that he does to be very, very busy. And that was, a, that was a decision that we made. And so we went from being a two C-level couple to uh, being a one and it's been interesting. Uh, I, have, I have enjoyed tremendously the opportunity for him to travel with me and, and to be involved in a lot of the things that I've done. And uh, we wouldn't have been able to do that without it. And I have to say that he's been my right hand and I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done and give all that I've given to the companies that I've led if I didn't have him as my ambassador and my right hand. So I've been, I've been very blessed. Wonderful. Well, I have a husband that is very supportive of what I do as well, so I appreciate uh, and understand your story. So, John, thank you for being uh, such a supportive and, uh, and wonderful husband as well as the other wonderful things you've done and successful. Thank you, John. That's good. We should have had him up here doing stand-up comedy yeah, or something for yeah. this evening. As you can we? see, life is good. <laughs> life is definitely good. Well, before we wrap up our evening, I do want to make one other special introduction. Uh, as many of you know, Farmers Insurance Group uh, sponsors our Dean's Executive Leadership Series and has for several years now. And they've been a tremendous support, provide financial support. They are always present at these events. And so uh, we are honored tonight to have Faye McClure with us. And Faye is back here. And Faye is the Vice President with Farmers Insurance Group. She's an alumnus of Seaver College at Pepperdine. She's on our Board of Visitors in the Business School. So Faye, thank you so much for your tremendous support and for being with us. Thank you. 
Sherry, it has been a real treat to have you with us. We appreciate you taking the time to be here and share about your experiences. I know I've learned a lot from it, and I know our audience has as well. So we wish you the best with Thank the you. next stage of your life and your career. And you can hear more of Sherry on the podcast that we did earlier uh, today when that will be up shortly on iTunes. And then we've uh, also recorded her uh, talk in this discussion tonight. So you can also uh, go to the YouTube university site that Pepperdine has and actually see the video again if you would like to or direct other people to that. So thank you so much Absolutely. for being with us. It was us. my pleasure. Thank you.